God, help us to see you. I just pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here this morning. Thank you for spending time together as we worship God. Um, I just want to say thank you for allowing me to share what God's put on my heart. Thank you, Pastor Ridge. I'm not Pastor Ridge. I'm not here to replace him. Uh, I'm thankful that he has allowed me to share this morning. And um, I pray that what God's put on my heart is that's yours today. And uh, I just want to say uh, I love Jesus. I, uh, you know, as I was putting this message together, it's like, wow. I just want to say I love Jesus. You know, one of the things that I've heard over and over from my Christian friends is I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus in my life. Followed by what do people do who don't have him? And I, for one, I'm really and truly appreciate how much, how much of a blessing it is to claim Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. It has... <clears throat> it hasn't always been that way. And when I was putting this sermon together, I realized it's been just a little less than 20 years ago that I was reborn. And God's been busy working on me and he continues to do that. <clears throat> what an incredible trip it's been. But even with Jesus in my life, I find that I cannot control everything that happens in my world. Matter of fact, I'm not in control of anything. Around the corner, there's a potential for a situation that will exceed what I can cope with. Situations that cause the floor to drop out from under me and send me free falling. But in spite of, the fa in spite of that fact, all kinds of situations come my way. In spite of all that, I know someone who is all powerful, always infinitely wise, and always immeasurably good. He's the way maker, he's the miracle worker. My God, that is who he is. He loves me and he knows me by name. He knows me by name. I don't have any promises from my heavenly father that my life's gonna be easy, but I do have his promise from Romans 8, 28, and it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Oh, I'm not disillusioned. I know that I will have tough times. Times that take all I can muster and then want some more. Jesus told those of us to follow him, in this world you will have trouble. But I have hope because Jesus also said, take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus walks high above the circumstances of our life. And as long as I keep my eyes on him during those tough times, he lifts me up to where he is. In the gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, we have a story that we're all familiar with. And each writer shares something just a little different. 
And even though they're different, I believe each and every one of them to be true. And I believe that the Holy Spirit included those in the Bible to teach us just how above it all Jesus really is. And how crucial it is for us to keep our eyes on him. Now, just before the story of Jesus walking on the water, we see the greatness and we see the power that Jesus had when he feeds 5,000. And that doesn't include the women, doesn't include the children. And he does it with five small loaves and two fish. He does it with God number. Five small loaves and two fish. He feeds all these people. But after the crowd had eaten, Jesus, or excuse me, John tells us something the other two gospels don't. From John 6, I want to read this. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come to the world. Jesus knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You see, the people thought that they had found in Jesus a, a, a perfect political leader, someone who could promise them and give them anything and everything that they wanted. Someone who would, would provide them with whatever they wanted, earthly things, whatever they needed. Perhaps they thought that he could replace the wicked King Herod and maybe he would even drive the Roman empire that was occupying that place at that time out from their land. Now, while Jesus was truly the King of the Jews, that's not the kind of kingdom that he came to establish. Today, just like then, people try to use Jesus for their own personal gain. That's sad, but that's the way it is. Seeking through him a more comfortable and easy life here on earth for themselves. And while Jesus can fill bellies, okay, he can provide this. He just proved he could. And he would make a great earthly leader. His main purpose was and still is about saving souls from eternal loss. Amen? Saving souls from eternal loss. And I believe that could be where our passage tells us that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. We see a sense of urgency here. We, he had to force them, he had to compel them, he had to strongly urge them to go. Jesus knew what the crowd was planning to do. And maybe he didn't want the disciples to get all caught up in the moment and be tempted to join in on what the crowd had planned. So open your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew 14. And we're going to read out of Matthew the story of Jesus walking on the water. Matthew 14, verse 22 is where we'll start. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house with your people. Thank you, Father, for this story that teaches us so much. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear from you today. Not from Joel, but from you. You would speak to each and every one of us exactly where we are, telling us exactly what we need to hear. And I thank you and give you all the praise and glory in advance. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want us to notice three ways, three ways that Jesus is above it all. The first way that Jesus is above it all is in times of frustration. In verse 22 through 25, we see that the disciples were hesitant. They were hesitant to get into the boat. And so Jesus made them, he compelled them to go. Why would he do that? Well, first off, without them leaving, the crowd would never have left. They would have hung around because the disciples were hanging around. But maybe there was another reason that the the disciples had for not wanting to go. You see, several of the disciples were very experienced fishermen. They knew the Sea of Galilee very well. And they knew that this time of the year, probably mid-spring, the sea was subject to strong gusts of wind. And late afternoon and evening was not the best time to be out in the middle of the lake. Nevertheless, in obedience, off they went. Maybe with a protest under their breath, and maybe a bit bewildered by Jesus' decision to send them. Now I want you to imagine with me just a little bit. Imagine with me, if you will, for just a minute, and and we're gonna see Jesus is up on the mountain, okay? After the disciples left, he went up on the mountain to pray. And he looks down and he sees, and he sees something, Mark tells us something just a little bit different. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone as Jesus on land. 
He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Because the wind was against them. Now Jesus had the power and he had the authority to change the wind. He could have changed the direction and helped them. Instead of blowing against them, he could have made it for them. But he didn't do it. What does he do? He goes back to praying. He sits up there almost all night long praying. But he did nothing to calm the waves. He looked down and he saw what was going on, but he did nothing to change that. I believe he kept the check on the disciples just like he does for us. He knows, he knew what was going on for them. He knows what's going on in our lives. I do believe they were in no danger of perishing, but they might have disagreed with you. You know, that's the way in our lives. Things happen and we wonder, where is God? Where's God? Why, why is he not here? Why doesn't he make it better for me? Why doesn't he even care? Well, that's about three or four o'clock in the morning. And the disciples have been on the water for six to seven hours. But it only managed to row about three miles. The boat is in a potentially serious situation. The disciples are physically exhausted and they're emotionally on edge. It seems as though Jesus has deliberately sent them off on a dangerous journey. Deliberately. But I want to stop right here and I'm going to point out something. The disciples were in this situation not because of disobeying, but because of obeying God. They were in this situation because they obeyed God. You see, Jesus knew that this trip would turn out to be very frustrating and it would drain them of all of their own personal resources. Sometimes it takes that to get our attention, amen? amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? Thank you very much. Sometimes it takes that. It takes, you know, bad things to come in our life to get our attention. It was at this moment in time that the Son of God would choose to show his control of the wind and the waves and to walk on the water. He would illustrate to them and to us that he is far above those things that frustrate us. He does this because he loves us. He wants, he wants to wean us of our trust in ourselves and help us to, to learn to lean on him and him alone. God's not against you. He's for you. He wants to wean us of our trust in ourselves and help us to learn to lean on him and him alone. The second way that Jesus is above it all. Jesus is above it all in times of fear. Now I want y'all to imagine with me for just a minute. I want you to put yourself in the place of the disciples. It's been a long, exhausting day. You've been with Jesus all day long and you've been helping as he fed all these people. You helped distribute the food. You helped take it all up. 
It's been a long day. And then you're sent across the lake. Think about how how it would feel to be rowing for hour after hour, six or seven hour, hour after hour against the wind, making almost no progress. Fearful that this small boat might capsize and you might possibly drown. Now remember, you're one of the disciples. Three or four o'clock in the morning and you raise your tired eyes and you look up and you look off in the distance and you squint in the moonlight and you try to see. You rub your eyes because I can't be seeing what I think I've seen. You shake your head to get rid of the cobwebs and then you sort of laugh a little bit under your breath. (laughs) This ain't happening. Then you turn to one of your friends and you say, I must be going nuts. I think I see a man over there and he's walking on the water. Your friend says, where? And you point. Your friend says, you are rubbing off on me and you are nuts. But I see him also. The others in the boat want to know what's going on. And and the two of you reluctantly point to the man walking on the water. That's just your imagination, they say. And soon everybody's laughing about it because it's impossible to walk on water. But very quickly, the laughing stops. John says they were troubled. Matthew and Mark says they were terrified. I think that'd be a good description of what was happening. It didn't register to them that it was Jesus. They thought it was a ghost. And they cried out in fear. At this point, you have a boatload of grown men who are truly scared. And I imagine if I would have been one of them, I'd be scared too. I remember my mom telling me that she shared a story with her kids one time. And this little boy says, I wouldn't have been scared. Now, if I'm out in the middle of a raging sea and, and somebody comes walking across the water, I'm scared. Now, let's consider this. Let's consider Jesus. He's walking on the sea and it's very rough. If you've never been around water when the wind's blowing, I can see waves four, five, six feet tall. That can happen really easy. I don't believe that Jesus was having trouble walking. I don't think he was jumping from wave to wave. I don't think he was losing his balance. I think he was walking along. It was just a stroll. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. He was walking from this side to this side. Just a stroll. I believe that even in the midst of this raging sea, he was at peace and he calmly spoke to the disciples. And he said, take courage. Another version says, be of good cheer. It is I, don't be afraid. Those are the words of a man who had it all under control. 
Those are not the words of a man who doesn't know what he's doing. He's having a hard time walking on water. Mark 6 uh, verse 48 says he was about to pass them by. You see, he was going from here to there. It's nothing more than a stroll. It's nothing more than Jesus walking. I suggest to you this morning that this is yet another example of Jesus showing himself to be above the crises of our lives. He may be, or excuse me, we may be troubled, but he isn't. We may cry out in fear, but he doesn't. We may be all upset, but he's calm. No matter the circumstances, he is in control. He is still God and he's still on his throne. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Jesus is above it all. The third way in times of weakness. One of the remarkable things that I've discovered about Peter, and I love Peter. He was a knucklehead. I think that's why I, I like him so much. Uh, but, but Peter always wanted to be as near as he could be to Jesus. You read the stories and he always wanted to be near Jesus. Peter wanted to move from where he was to where Jesus was. That's something I think each one of us could improve on. It's something that, it's something that we need to move from where we are to where Jesus is at. Amen. Matthew tells us that Peter said, Lord, if it is you. Was he unsure? Uh, maybe because after all, he had never seen anyone walk on the water. But I imagine that Peter thought that there was one way to make sure it was Jesus. And that was by walking on the water to him at his command. So he said, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, even though Peter was a knucklehead, Peter had spent a lot of time in boats on the sea. He may have not known everything, and he may, but, he, but he did know better than to try stepping out of the boat unless Jesus commanded him to do, to do so. Sure enough, Jesus said, Come. And Peter had one leg over the side quicker than a flash, followed by the other, and there he was, walking on the water toward Jesus. So why did Jesus tell Peter to come? Why did Jesus tell Peter to walk on the water? I think there's two reasons. So that Peter, along with us, those of us who read and believe, would see Christ's power. What Peter's power? Because the second thing is, I believe, so that Peter, along with us, would know our weakness. So that we could know Christ's power and so we could know our weakness. Sometimes we may be tempted to criticize Peter for his lack of faith, for, his fact, for the fact that he jumped out of the boat. But at least he got out of the boat. All the rest of the disciples stayed in the boat. And most of us would choose, be honest, most of us would choose to stay in the boat. Just let, just let Jesus come over here. 
Well, we know how the story goes. Peter was doing just fine until he took his eyes off of Jesus. He started to focus on the wind and the waves. He started to focus on his circumstances. He started to trust in his ability to walk on the water rather than on the one who walks above it all. Of course, with his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And like all of us, and sometimes it's the last resort prayer, he cried out with a short but simple but powerful prayer. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. I don't think it was the Lord save me. He was scared. He's fixing to go under. Lord, save me. Jesus was right there, just like he is for us. Jesus was right there and he lifted Peter up. He gently rebuked him and he said, you have a little faith, why did you doubt? But you see, it is our doubt that gets us in trouble. It's our doubt that keeps us from accomplishing the things that we set out to do. It's our doubt that sinks us. One of the small details that gets missed a lot, and one of the ones that I love the most in this story. is found in verse 32. They climbed into the boat. They, Peter and Jesus, climbed into the boat. Jesus didn't leave Peter in the water. He didn't do that any more than he leaves you and me in our times of distress. Jesus didn't walk back to the boat trolling Peter behind him. Come on, Peter. Come on. No. Jesus raised Peter up and they walked back together. As soon as they got back to the boat, the wind ceased. Confirming once again that he is Lord. And that he dwells in a victorious realm far above the circumstances of life. I love verse 33. And I close with this. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Truly you are the son of God. You know, we've, we've heard this story a lot of times. But this morning, as we think about our time of decision, our, our time when, that we always take at the end of the sermon to make, or to let Jesus talk to us, to let the Lord talk to us, and, and we make decisions, I wanna, I wanna challenge you differently this morning than normally. I, wanna, I want you to consider something differently. We've heard this story a lot of times. But this morning, I want you to think about this. You're in the boat. You've been in the boat for a long time. You've been a believer for a long time, just like the other disciples. But you've never gotten out of the boat. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but what's written next to your name? What's written next to your name? 
Does it say Kevin got out of the boat? Or does it say Kevin stayed in the boat? Jesus said, it is I. There's no safer place than you can be is with Jesus. It is I, come. So Peter got out. No, we criticize. He got out and he started thinking, so what? He got out and he, and he trusted. We're going to fail. Everything's not going to be perfect, but at least he tried. When God first got a hold of me, and it's like I would have never believed that I'd be standing up here on Sunday morning preaching. But he said, you, you, this is what I want you to do, and you at least try. And y'all think, oh, Joel's got together. No, Joel's knees, Joel's knees are banging together right now. I got butterflies. That's okay. You at least try. Get out of the boat. Maybe God's calling you to do something. It's like, I can't do that. You're right. You can't. But with him, you can. All things are possible through him. Maybe you're in this boat. Maybe you're not in the boat. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. You're in the water. You're in the water. The water's up to here. I don't want to scare you, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says if you die without Jesus, you're going to go to hell. We don't talk about that in churches nowadays because people don't want to hear that. But it's true. If you've never asked Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, this morning Jesus is saying it is I. Come. You can invite Jesus into your heart and you will have the promise, according to the Bible, not according to Joel, but according to the Bible, you have a promise of eternal life. Jesus will pick you up out of the water and he'll walk with you from now on. You have no hope outside the boat, outside of heaven. That's what the Bible says. I'll do it next week, Joel. Something that we all saw on TV a couple, three weeks ago. There was a building in Florida that collapsed. 100 plus people thought that they were going to see tomorrow. They all went to bed. I bet, you, I bet you that almost every one of them had something to do the next day. But all those people that died and perished. And Jesus said... I am the way and the truth and the life and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to God except through Jesus Christ, his son. He's speaking this morning to you and he says, it is I. Come. Will you have the courage to step out? Will you have the courage to do what God wants you to do? What did I say Jesus' main, func- main purpose was? He was interested in souls. He did not want them to perish. The Bible says all is sin. That's everybody in here. And the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Plain and period. Plain, that's it. 
as our praise team comes up, I just want you to think about that. I'm in the boat. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to get out? Am I going to stay in there? Am I going to stay in there where it's comfortable? Or am I going to get out and walk on the rough water? Okay, it's not easy. Jesus never promised anything to be easy. It's not easy to stand up here and share on Sunday morning, but that's okay. That's what God wants. And I know that he's with me. I know that he's guiding every word that comes out of my mouth. So as, as the praise team uh, shares a couple of songs with us this morning, it's your time to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to God that says, it is I. It is I, come. And you need not be afraid. I got saved when I was 50 and I thought, man, everybody in the whole church is going to condemn me because I've been in church and, 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 and they're going to look at me and they're going to say, what's that guy doing? That's, no, there's not a single person ever said anything bad to me. Not a single person condemned me. That makes no difference, really, what the other people think anyway. It's all about what he thinks, amen? He wants you. He desires you to be a part of the family of God. He wants you to step out of the boat. He wants you to do things you've never done before for him. And he has a plan for each and every one of us. If I'm going to tell you how I know he has a plan because you're here today. You're here today because God has a plan for you. It is I. Come. Pray with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your word that tells us how you came, you died for us.